Section four of the third Miss Simmons by F. M. Mayer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter nine. Henrietta paid her father a visit before they started abroad. The promise of the first days was amply fulfilled. The whole house was happy, and Henrietta was touched by the warmth of her welcome. After the squalor of lodgings, home was pleasant, and her father's invitation was cordial. Henrietta, why don't you stay with us? Mildred, with a fond look at his wife, never will allow your room to be used. It's always ready, waiting for you. It was a temptation to Henrietta, but she refused, partly from pride, from a feeling that she ought not to disturb the present comfort, but also because it was getting a principle with her, as apparently with many middle-aged Englishwomen, that she must always be going abroad. Yet she knew that Miss Gurney did not particularly want to have her, and had invited her more from laziness than from anything else. They went abroad. It was to the Italian lakes, and a life of sitting in the sun, walking up and down promenades, short drives, and making and unmaking of desultory friendships began. They grumbled a good deal to third parties, but still they were happy enough according to their low standards of happiness. As they were abroad for an indefinite period, there was none of the feeling of rush which they had enjoyed so much before, but sometimes they played the Italian game, and had packed in days, called 6.45 coffee, 7.30 train, 8.21 arrive at destination, 11.23 go to Croce d'Oro for coffee, visit churches of Santa Maria and San Giovanni, and museum table d'hote luncheon one thirty drive to roman remains back to crochet d'oro for tea separate for shopping and meet at station five twenty for train five thirty back for special table d'hote kept for them in the salle à manger henrietta would settle it all with baedeker and the railway guide the night before and if she had felt apprehension at her failing powers in history her grasp of this kind of day could not have been bettered everything was seen and everything was timed and the only person who might have something to complain of was the delicate niece who went through her treat too exhausted to open her mouth counting the hours when she might go to her bed in peace at last miss gurney and the niece decided to return to england henrietta found some americans who wanted to stay at montreux and they asked her to join them after montreux came chamonix and in the autumn miss gurney's niece came out again and she and henrietta stayed at como and then at mentone until april then came switzerland again then Henrietta went to England for a round of visits, and by the end of them she was longing to be back abroad. She said that England was depressing, and gave her rheumatism, and that she, in the best of health and prime of life, could not face an English winter. The fact was she did not care for the sharing of other people's lives, which is expected from a visitor, and her long sojourn in hotels with no one but herself to consider had made her less easy to live with. So without exactly knowing how, she drifted into spending almost all her time abroad. 
every other year she came back for visits in the summer but in the spring autumn and winter she wandered from one cheap pension to another in italy france germany belgium or switzerland if she had led a half-occupied life as keeper of her father's house she now learnt the art of getting through a day in which she did absolutely nothing when she became accustomed to it the very smallest service required of her was regarded as a cross sometimes a relation would commission her to buy something abroad and then the salle à manger would resound with wails because she must go round the corner select an article and give orders to the shopman to dispatch it to england the friends who asked her to engage rooms for them at a hotel had cause to rue their request they never heard the end of it many lonely women receive great solace from their church and give solace in return where would the church and the poor be without them but Henrietta was never long enough in her caravanserai to become attached to the services of the chaplains in the salle à manger, and she soon gave up church-going. At first she spent a great deal of time inventing reasons to keep her conscience quiet, such as that it had rained in the night and therefore might rain again, or that she did not approve of chanting Amen, but later she did not see why there should be a reason and left her conscience to its remorse bad health is another resource for unoccupied women and it certainly occurred to her as an occupation but she realized that it and roving cannot be combined and of the two she preferred roving her chief pastime was to skim through novels any novels that could be found costume novels of english history by preference this was how her bent for learning satisfied itself she never remembered the author or title or anything of what she read but at the same time she was obsessed with the idea that she must always have something new and would constantly accuse her friends or the library of deceiving her with books she had read before if you can't remember what does it matter her dreadfully reasonable nieces would exclaim, not realising that her sole interest in the novels was the collector's interest of seeing how many new ones she could find. A second pastime was her patience. She was always learning new patiences and always mixing them up with one another. This was another source of annoyance to efficient nieces. But that is not demon, Aunt Etta, they would explain playing patience severely from a sense of duty she cheated so persistently that there was no room for skill i can't conceive why you play they said crossly but the reason was perfectly clear it stared one in the face during the patience the clock had moved from ten minutes past eight to twenty-five minutes to ten henrietta also killed time now and then with sights churches or old pictures of course she never went near masterpieces now she had ample leisure for seeing them but easter services royal birthday processions or battles of flowers as she seldom broke her routine of idleness these occasions excited her not with pleasurable anticipation but with a nervous fluster that she might somehow miss something and the concierge the porter madame and the head waiter would all be flying about the hotel half an hour before it was necessary for her to start sent on some perfectly useless errand connected with her outing 
If it rained, if something went wrong, how she grumbled, and when she did see her show it gave her very little pleasure. She had not in the least a child's mind, she was not pleased by small events, yet she grasped desperately after them with an absurd hazy idea that she was defrauded of her rights if she did not see them. Another interest was an enormous collection of photographs of places which she had not cared for at the time and could not in the least remember. Another her address book of pensions and hotels, to which she was always adding new volumes, above all grumbling. Favourite subjects were her kettle and her methylated spirits, whether the hotel would allow her to take up milk and sugar from breakfast, whether the chambermaid abstracted the biscuits she brought from dessert overnight. Everyone who came in contact with Miss Simmons found they were made to listen to an endless story of a certain Elise, who had stolen the biscuits and substituted other ones that were quite four days old, and of Elise's brazen behaviour when charged with the offence. Her standard of comfort at a hotel was so impossible that she became an object of terror and dislike to the waiters and chambermaids. She was punctual in payment, but very grasping, and wrung many concessions from the hotels by a persistence which no men and few women would have had the courage to display. She was always seeking the ideal hotel, and for this reason she was always wandering, and never was long enough in one place to strike any roots and create a feeling of home. This life corroded her character. She became more bad-tempered and nagging, always up in arms, scenting out liberties, and thinking she was taken advantage of. She was not a character which does well by itself, and under a domineering manner she concealed her weakness, vacillation, and timidity. She was divorced from every duty, every responsibility, every natural tie, with no outlet for her interest or her sympathy. It seems inconceivable that she should willingly have led such an existence. She was, however, much more satisfied with herself, and with things in general, than she had formerly been. She did not have stormy repentances, or outbursts against her lot. She no longer desired what was unattainable. If she did not have a particularly high standard of happiness or of character, neither in her opinion had the rest of the world not that she thought much of these things overthinking and overlonging had caused her much misery in early life and she shrank from opening all those wounds again she faced facts as little as she could she lived from day to day and her inner self was really very much what her outer self seemed absorbed in the very small round of events which concerned her the days passed, the months passed, the years passed. She saw them go unregretted, and when they were gone she did not remember them. Nothing had happened in them, bad or good, to mark their course. What a piece of work is a man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form, in moving, how express and admirable! in action how like an angel, in apprehension how like a god, the beauty of the world, 
the paragon of animals. Chapter 10 It has been shown that Henrietta had not much power of attracting affection to herself, and she had long ceased to desire it. She was now brought into contact with numbers of different people, and as travelling acquaintances she liked them, but when they parted she did not want to see them again. There was, however, an exception to this rule. Henrietta found many companions in misfortune, expatriated either from health, pleasure, or poverty. An intelligent foreigner has inquired whether there are any single elderly ladies left in England, so innumerable are the hosts abroad. Some, like her, had worn their personalities so thin that it seemed likely they would eventually become shadows with no character left. Others were nice and cheerful, and made little encampments in the wilderness, so that the unfortunates might gather around them and almost feel they had got a home. It was in the room of a nice one that Henrietta met a colonel. There are fewer occupationless Englishmen abroad, but there is a fair supply, half-pay officers, consumptives, and mysterious creatures who have no good reason for being there. They were a strange medley for Henrietta to associate with, people whom in her palmy days, as mistress of her father's house, she would have thought unspeakable. She had none of this generation's tolerance and love of new sensations to attract her to unsatisfactory people. She only really liked conventional respectability. This colonel was not respectable. He was not a colonel in the English army, and never would say much about himself. He was very pleasant and polite, and Henrietta, she walked back to table d'hote, felt she had spent a livelier afternoon than usual. It was at the beginning of the season, and looking back six weeks later, she was astonished to find how often they had met. Shortly after, the lady in whose room Henrietta had first seen him asked her to tea. She did not seem quite so easy-going as usual, and at last began, "'You know, Miss Simmons, my cousin, Colonel Hilton, is rather a peculiar man. I've known him all my life, and I don't think there is any harm in him. But money is his difficulty.' He ought to be well off, but it always seems to slip through his fingers. Henrietta realised that this was a warning. At the end of the season he proposed, and she accepted him. She knew he proposed for her money, and she knew that, besides being mercenary, he was a poor creature in every way. Most people could not have borne long with his society, but she unaccustomed to companionship, felt that he sufficed her. She did not think much of the future. When she did, she realised that it was hardly possible they could marry. But meanwhile it was something, she would have been ashamed to own how much, to have someone call her dear. Once he attained to dearest, but he was evidently frightened at his temerity and did not repeat the experiment. 
she announced the engagement and a letter from minna came flying to the riviera saying that all sorts of terrible things were known about the colonel and imploring henrietta to desist she did not desist but very soon the colonel did having discovered that her fortune was not so large as he had been given to suppose there was a solid something it is true but for henrietta quite middle-aged and decidedly cross she imagined she was never cross with him he felt he must have a very considerable something he wrote a letter breaking off the engagement and left the riviera abruptly having made a good thing out of his season henrietta had lent him he said given others said over three hundred pounds and now we shall have a terrible piece of work said minna to louis you know what henrietta always is what she was about that other affair with a man years ago and again when evelyn's little girl died she gets so excited and overwrought but henrietta quite upset their expectations this which most people might have thought the most serious misfortune which had befallen her affected her very little in her heart of hearts she was saying well when all's said and done i've had my offer like everyone else she was grateful for the dears too she did not realize that there had been absolutely nothing behind them she answered the colonel's speedy application for more money and continued to send him supplies from time to time evelyn and herbert had returned to england and had settled on the south coast two boys had been born in canada and had grown and prospered henrietta stayed with evelyn for a fortnight whenever she was back in england but somehow the visits were not the pleasure they should have been evelyn was still delicate and herbert had begged henrietta when she saw her to make no allusion to their loss evelyn was delighted at showing her boys and henrietta was pleased for her that she should have them but to her they did not in the least take the place of the dead they were not hers she was almost indignant with evelyn for caring for them so much and accused her in her heart of forgetfulness this made her irritable which herbert resented and then evelyn was nervous because herbert and henrietta did not get on well together evelyn's letters to her were very affectionate the only real pleasure in any reasonable sense of the word in henrietta's life sometimes evelyn and her husband and boys came out to stay with henrietta the visits were not occasions of much happiness and a certain day remained for years as a mild nightmare in evelyn's memory they were all in milan one spring when the patron of the hotel announced that his lady cousin who lived at some out-of-the-way little country town had heard from her friend a priest in that same little town that on tuesday there was to be a special festa in connection with a local saint would the english ladies and gentlemen care to go the patron himself had the contempt of an enlightened man for saints and festas but he knew the curious attraction which such childishness possesses for the english tourist all was arranged 
the railway company had never intended that the little town should be reached from milan but with an early start and much changing of trains it was possible to accomplish the journey in two hours and a half they arrived there was no surprise among the hotel omnibuses at their appearance for the italians have found that the english will turn up anywhere but to-day they were certainly the only representatives of their nation they reached the church where the festa was to take place it was sleeping peacefully brooded over by a delicious sweet smell of dirt and stale incense not a soul was to be seen but as the party marched indignantly up and down the aisles another smell comes to join the incense garlic a merry good-humoured little priest appears it is the friend of the lady cousin he knew no english but yes yes they little italian but the essentials for travel troppo bello antico at the word festa he shook his head very sadly and he said domani so many times that with the help of henrietta's little phrase-book they found it must mean to-morrow they had come the wrong day he was very much distressed about it to make up if possible for the disappointment he showed them all over the church and sacristy he did not miss one memorial tablet not one disappearing fresco and knowing the taste of the english he said as each new item was displayed molto molto antico he was so much attracted by evelyn's charming middle-aged beauty and her sweet english voice that when santa barbara's was exhausted he could not resist showing them what he cared for much more his own little brand-new mission church with its brilliant rosy-cheeked images and artificial wreaths the boys fifteen and seventeen had had enough of churches after two days at milan and evelyn could hear from herbert's conscientious stumping tread that he was examining the church because a soldier must always do his duty at length it was over they came out into the sunshine and the big town clock struck a quarter to eleven their train home left at five thirty the two churches had only used up an hour and a quarter now dearest said herbert firmly i dare say you and etta will like a little rest suppose i and the boys get a walk in the country and don't wait lunch for us you know i dare say we can get something at one of those little wine places one sees about they managed to construct a sentence for the priest who was standing nodding by them are there any pretty walks in the neighbourhood smiling genially he pointed to an answer which the phrase-book translated the landscape presents a grandiose panorama evelyn gave the priest a contribution to his mission church he was overwhelmed with surprise and pleasure at this good action on the part of a heretic it added to his pleasure that she was such a beautiful heretic and then as they said good-bye evelyn wished that they might meet again he replied with his face all over smiles i hope perhaps in paradise he could not speak with absolute certainty 
Something in the way he said it brought tears to Evelyn's eyes, and Henrietta, who was looking on and listening, thought with a little envy that none of the many priests or pastors, few even of the laity she had encountered in her wanderings, had ever hoped to meet her again, either in heaven or on earth. After many affectionate bows, he said good-bye. The sisters were scarcely half an hour buying picture postcards. There had been nothing else to do, so they had bought more picture postcards than it seemed possible could be bought. When rain came on, not gentle English rain, but the fierce cataracts of Italy let loose for the rest of the day. Back came Herbert and the boys, who had somehow missed the grandiose panorama. It had, in fact, been created entirely out of politeness by the priest. After lunch, which they prolonged to its farthest limit, there was nothing for it but the salon, a small room with its window darkened by the veranda outside. Madame brought in yesterday's tribuna, and they found an illustrated catalogue of hotels in Dresden. Oh, that three hours and a half! The boys and Herbert would have been content to sit with their shoulders hunched up, staring at their boots, going every quarter of an hour to the front door, to see if it were raining as hard there as it was out of the salon window. And Evelyn only wanted to be left in silence with her headache. But Henrietta would tease the boys. Whatever they did do, or whatever they did not do, seemed an occasion for criticism. Evelyn to divert attention, burst into long reminiscences of the days at Wilstead. Henrietta combated each statement with a kind of sneer, as though whatever Evelyn said was bound to be worthless. Evelyn saw Herbert, who always treated her as if she was a wonderful queen, casting black looks at Henrietta. At last his anger came out. I don't know why it seems impossible for you to speak to Evelyn with ordinary civility, Henrietta. My dearest boy, said Evelyn, going and patting Herbert's shoulder. Etty and I don't care about ordinary civility. We love having our little spars together. Sisters don't bother to be as polite as men are to one another. Life would be much too much of a burden. She gave Henrietta's hand a squeeze as she went back to her seat but after this Henrietta would hardly talk at all, and the reminiscences became a monologue from Evelyn. At last, at long last, the train came, and Henrietta forgot her disappointment in sleep. The happy day she had looked forward to and planned and paid for was over. Louis and her colonel did not thrive better as the years went on, Money never seemed able to stay with them. Henrietta helped them long after everyone else had become tired of them. She did not expect gratitude, nor did she get it. In spite of her dependence, Louis managed to convey the impression of Henrietta's inferiority, and the children spoke of her as a butt. "'Oh, it's Aunt Etta's year. It really is rather a fag to think we shall have her for three weeks.' "'Ethel, it's your turn to take her in tow. I had her all last time.' "'Poor Etta,' said Minna. "'She's such an interminable talker. 
it does worry arthur so she means very well we all know that minna's children were very much of the twentieth century and were not going to bear with a dull old maid merely because she was their aunt and had been kind to them as one of them expressed it never put yourself out for a relation however distant that's an axiom little as the younger generation thought of her she thought something of them and the second week in december when she chose her christmas presents for all her nieces and nephews was the pleasantest week in the year to her chapter eleven henrietta had been fourteen years abroad when she came to pay her biannual visit to evelyn who do you think has come to live here henrietta said evelyn as they sat talking the first evening ellen ellen yes our dear old ellen mrs plumtree she's a widow now her eldest son is working here and she is living with him and his wife i went to see her last week and she was so delighted to talk over old times and when she heard you were coming she was so excited you were always her favourite a few days afterwards they went to find ellen a very hale old lady in spite of having brought up a large family of her own she had the clearest remembrance of apparently every incident of the childhood of you two young ladies so she still called them as though she had never had any other interest in life oh and miss etta she said what a sight you did think of miss evie i never knew a child take so to any one before she's quite a little mother i often used to say to sarah do you remember sarah she died only last year she suffered dreadful with her heart do you remember how you always would go to put your hand into the water before i gave miss evie her bath because you wanted to be sure it wasn't too hot every evening you did it and one day you were out late and miss evie was in bed before you came in and you cried because you hadn't been able to do it neither sister found it easy to speak but ellen wanted very little encouragement sometimes as a great treat when you was a little older miss evie i let you sleep in miss etty's bed and she used to lay and cuddle you so pretty and the canary miss etta do you remember that when miss evie's dicky died and you went all the way to wilstead by yourself and bought a new canary so that she might never know her dicky died your mamma was very angry with you i remember but there was nothing you wouldn't do for miss evie the sisters walked back in silence their hearts were too full for speech there was no time for private conversation till night when evelyn came into henrietta's room and flung her arms round her darling darling etta she said i could hardly bear it when ellen was talking to think of all that you were to me all that you did for me and that i should have forgotten it oh how is it that we've got apart i don't know said henrietta i don't think there is anything much to like in me no one does care for me i think if no one likes one one doesn't deserve to be liked oh nothing in this life goes by deserts people love you 
and they're quite right you ought to be loved you did care for me once though herbert wrote you know when we lost a good cry with you will be more comfort to evelyn than anything else even then in the middle of it all it made me happy oh etta what you were to me then henrietta took evelyn's hand and squeezed it convulsively when she could speak she said evelyn do you ever think of our children think of them of course i do do you etta i used to but i tried not to it was too bitter the children were what i lived for and i don't think of them often now it's past and gone oh i couldn't live if i didn't i don't think it is bitter now these dear boys they're not quite the same to me as the ones that were taken i thought you'd forgotten them i thought you had etta and i couldn't help feeling it herbert asked me never to speak about them to you dear herbert he is so good i can't tell you how good he is to me but he never will mention them first of all i was so ill i couldn't stand talking of them but now i can and i do long for it he doesn't forget them i know but i think men live more in the present than we do and he has his work which absorbs him very much and it isn't quite the same for a man and then they were so delicate particularly madeline that i was wrapped up in them all their lives and they were so small he couldn't see much of them do you feel that you could tell me about them yes i should like to they talked far into the night herbert was away so that there was no one to stop them and when at last the dawn drove them to bed evelyn said i can't tell you how much good you've done me i seem to have been living for this for fifteen years they neither of them slept at all that night both were full of remorse but henrietta's was the bitterest the life which had seemed to do quite well enough all these years suddenly appeared to her as it was she contrasted her present self with the little girl ellen had known like jane eyre she drew her own picture faithfully without softening one defect she omitted no hard line smoothed away no displeasing irregularity she had squabbled that very afternoon if it is possible to squabble when only one party does the squabbling all the way down to ellen's about various quite unimportant dates in william's life the incident was almost as much a part of her day's routine as eating her breakfast now it seemed to her a manifestation of the degradation in which she had fallen the power and vividness of her memory magnified ten times by the mysterious agency of midnight brought back the words of advice of emily mentz of minna and of her aunt just as if they had been spoken last week she had entirely forgotten them for years now they kept rushing through her head hour after hour before breakfast evelyn came into her room her eyes shining with agitation and looking so flushed 
that Henrietta saw what need there had been for Herbert's caution. "'Etty,' she said, "'I've been thinking all night. I can't bear your living in this horrible way, no home, away by yourself, so that we see nothing of you. Come and live here, live with us. We shan't interfere with you. You shall come and go as you like.' or live in the village there's a dear little house just made for you only come and be near us henrietta was sorely tempted it was a great sacrifice to say no but she knew that herbert only tolerated her for evelyn's sake and that the boys rather spoilt and self-important found her a nuisance she knew also that she could not trust herself to be pleasant and good-tempered if she came it would not be for evelyn's happiness so she refused and even in her fervour of love for henrietta evelyn could not help realising it was best that she should at the same time that talk was a turning point in henrietta's life she never felt after it that she was completely unwanted although she would not live with evelyn she thought she might justifiably come and be much nearer her and she gave up the roving life and returned to england it had in fact satisfied her only because she had felt so uncared for that she became insignificant even to herself where should she live she knew that every place where she had relations would not do but this only ruled out four of the towns of the united kingdom it must be a town on that point she was clear as she cared for none of the special advantages of a town its more lively society its greater opportunities for entertainment and intellectual interests she was particularly insistent that she could not do without them what she wanted was a house with room for herself two maids and a couple of visitors such a house is to be found in tens and hundreds everywhere she went round and round england in a fruitless search as a pension habitier the whole arrangement of her life had been taken out of her hands even her clothes had been settled for her by one of those octopus london firms which like to reduce their customers to dummies and her transit from hotel to hotel and from english visits back to hotels had become a mere automatic process she had not made a decision for so many years that though her nieces and nephews were witty over her vacillation and declared that she enjoyed being a nuisance it was a fact that she was trying her best to be sensible and competent she with no go-between no protector must determine which was most important gravel soil or southern aspect she felt as she had felt years ago when she wrote her paper for professor amory only ten times more bewildered almost delirious of course her nieces constantly talked her over shaking their heads and saying if only aunt etta would let us but however weak she was she was firm in this she would not be helped the outward sign of her bewilderment was extreme crossness particularly 
to Evelyn, who was allowed to accompany her in her search, and to hear her remarks without making any suggestions. "'I will thank you to let me decide about my own house by myself.' They had examined nine houses that day, and were both almost weeping with exhaustion. Evelyn could not help feeling exasperated, but when Etta stumbled the moment after from sheer nervousness, and Evelyn caught hold of her hand, she realised from its hot trembling grasp how hard it is to come back to life again. Henrietta would probably never have found the right spot if a timely attack of rheumatism had not persuaded her to fix on Bath. When she had settled into her house at last, she hated it. She dismissed five servants in two months. She was so dull, no one called. Bath was so cold. If only she could let her house and go abroad for the winter. Happily, no suitable tenant appeared, and gradually Bath grew into a habit, and she became resigned. But it was long, very long before she would own that she liked it. End of section 4